You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. Well, let's pray this morning before we hear what God's word is. God, we are desperately thankful and so grateful for the story we're going to celebrate, the story of the resurrection power to Jesus rising from the dead, as we just sang, uh, trampling over death by death, killing death, essentially, and that all of our hope lies behind that. And God, that hope is important, particularly in a world where there's a war going on in Ukraine. There is a mental and emotional health crisis in the world following a pandemic. The pandemic is still somewhat of a reality in different parts of our globe. And God, we need hope. We need hope that's not just pie in the sky. We need hope that actually matters and speaks to our lives right now. So Lord, help us to hear this message. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, because today's celebration is a story, that's exactly what it is. It's a story of our hope. Today's sermon is going to be a little bit something different. I'm going to tell you the story in first person as if I were the walking, talking disciple Peter. So bear with me. Well, it's good to see you all. I'm, I'm prepared for what comes next. And, and in the strangest way, you, you probably couldn't understand. I can also say that I'm, I'm at peace with, well, I think I can say I'm at peace with everything, including what's coming next for me as we're in this prison. I'm an old man now. You can tell by the gray in my beard. And it'd be hard for you to understand. I think it'd probably be really difficult for you to believe how my life has changed from what my life was when I was a little kid. Um, maybe it'd be better to say that my life, my hope, my future, they have been completely transformed. Actually, I'm sorry. Hold on a second. I, um, my name is Simon. I didn't introduce myself to you. I'm sorry. My name is Simon, but you can call me Peter because my friends call me Peter. There was a time long ago when my life felt completely pointless. I mean, pointless. I mean, you know, what what kind of future could I have hoped for when I was a young man? I was a teenager in Galilee when Rome came in and just took me and my country and pushed our faces right down in the dust and put their knees on our necks. Not much future. A long time ago, it all happened. I still carry, it's burned into my mind, pictures in my head of my childhood, horrible things, traumatic things that I saw the Romans do to the people in my hometown and the villages around Galilee, things that people they called insurrectionists. No-name me from a no-name village in Galilee, I had no power to do anything to change any part of my life. Zero power. In fact, I wasn't a smart man. I mean, I'll even admit it to you right now. I'm, I'm still not a smart man. I wasn't smart enough to go to scribe school and learn from the rabbis to have maybe some shot like the smart kids, and there were a lot of them around me who could somehow maybe get out some kind of chance to have a different kind of life and escape my pointless little life in my little village in Galilee. So because I wasn't smart, still not, me and my brother Andrew were stuck with the family trade. (laughs) Fun family trade of fishing around the Sea of Galilee. 
A long time ago, in my mind, the best that I could hope for in my little life as a young man was to get married. I did. Was to get a boat. I did. And was to try to put some food on the table, which I did. Kind of most of the time. I guess what I'm trying to say to you is that I once felt that the pointlessness of my little life, it felt irreversibly permanent, permanent. But what felt like the irreversible permanence of my little pointless life, it started to fade the day I met Jesus. I know you know about him. I know you've heard about him as we're all here in this prison sitting here together. I've heard, I know you've heard about him. It all started when my younger brother, Andrew, stumbled upon Jesus. See, when my brother was younger, he had a, he was kind of a, I don't know how else to call it, but he was a dreamer punk. I mean, isn't it true in your life that every Andrew you've ever met is kind of a dreamer punk? And so Andrew just wanted out of our pointless little life. And I don't blame him for that. I wanted out of our pointless little life. But the way he went about it was he just was always looking for the next big thing. Always looking for the next big thing. Always looking for the next big hope. Mashiach. Sorry, Mashiach is our word in our native language for what you call Messiah. And he attached himself to a lot of these so-called people who flamed out in failure. But he became a... A fan, I guess you'd call it a follower, a follower of the loud wilderness man, (laughs) the wilderness man who called himself John the Baptist. And Andrew heard John's teaching and the teaching moved him and he started, I didn't like it at the time, spending way more time following the wild man John than helping me fish and make some a living for my family, our family together. He started hanging out with him. And one day when Andrew was hanging out with John the Baptist, not helping me fish, along came Jesus passing by and wild man John pointed at him and loudly shouted, which he seemed to do a lot of. And he shouted and he said, look, there's the lamb of God. (laughs) Andrew, who's always looking for the next big thing, turned his back on John and started to follow this guy, Jesus. And he started hanging out with them. And then my brother became totally convinced that Jesus really was Mashiach. He was the God man that God had promised to send to save the entire world. He was totally convinced. And so Andrew grabbed me and he brought me to meet Jesus. (laughs) It was weird. So weird. Jesus just looked at me in silence for a long minute. You ever had somebody stare you down? He just looked at me like he was reading me to the core of my being. And then he said, you're Simon, son of John, right? From now on, you're going to be called Cephas, which in our native language is the word for rock. Or you can call me Peter. It's the same thing. Cephas, Peter. He gave me the name Peter, rock guy. And, and man, he, he got my attention. And later on, he found me and my brother Andrew. We were still fishing. And he comes along and boldly says to us, he says, follow me with authority. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And I just dropped my nets in my irreversibly pointless little life to go follow him. Why? 
why why is it is weird in these prison cells when microphones aren't working why did i go follow him i guess i would say is this is is just because a good answer I mean, that's all I got is just because, because all I can say is I followed him just because, and I I don't really know how else to say it. He just, he had this electricity and this sort of authority inside of him and in the air around him. Like all of the irreversibles of life had the potential of being reversed around him. And I just read that in that moment. And so I followed him and I saw stuff. I saw things. I saw things that only make sense if he really had come from God. I saw him, get this, he turned water into wine. And I, I, I'm not talking about that watered down stuff that you drink to the drunks. I'm talking about the best wine you will ever taste in your life. I've ever tasted in my life. I saw him do that. I saw him feed 5,000 men. And by the way, we didn't count women and children. And so there were way more women and children in addition to those 5,000 men. And he stuffed all those people to the gills and the meal started with him only having five loaves and two fish from a little boy who brought his lunch. He showed his authority over moments in my life. I was terrified over the demonic people being harassed by the demonic and he had authority you could snap your fingers over them he had authority over the wind and the waves and he even walked on water yeah i said on water and his authority over the wind and the waves it was so complete he invited me to join him when he was doing it yeah i'm not lying to you i walked on water with him Well, at least as long as I was looking at him. (laughs) Being with Jesus and learning from him, it began to turn no-name me into a very different person. Because of all the things that I saw and I heard, I became a man over time just following him. I started to trust him. And I am just not a guy who trusts anybody easily. I started to trust. I became a man who walked on water In my culture, water is chaos. I walked on and over chaos with Jesus. I became a man whose seemingly irreversible, pointless little life was beginning to be reversed by him. And I was slowly turning into a man with a meaningful and a purposeful life. But as I sit here in this prison telling you my story, awaiting what happens next for me, I want to tell you why Jesus changes everything, why he reverses everything the normal mind thinks is irreversible. You have to hear the story. You see, 30 years ago, the Jesus who asked me to follow him and who amazed me, and I was starting to learn from him, he entered into the city of Jerusalem on Passover, Passover week. He entered the city being celebrated like he was a conquering king. That is exactly what it looked like. And when I was watching it happen, I thought, that's that's the plan. That is the plan. He's going to become king. And Israel becoming some sort of like shining superpower of rightness and goodness in the world. That's what I thought the plan was. Well, that's not what happened. It all went sideways. 
To me, as I saw it, as I experienced it on the night of the Passover meal, Jesus was leading us 12 disciples in the Passover meal. But then as the meal's going on, he started sharing some really strange things with us. Strange stuff. Like he said he was going to have to die. Stuff like one of us 12 who'd been with him for three years was going to betray him. And he said directly to me, he said, Simon, listen to me. Satan, Satan, the the enemy of the human race, has demanded to have you disciples that he can sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, Peter, that your faith will not fail. Fail? I I thought to myself, fail? I, I couldn't believe that failure would be a part of my story anymore because of how much I'd seen some changes in my life. And I, I, I couldn't believe that Jesus might think that about me. Fail. So I pushed back at him during the meal. And I said, no, 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 not me. I'm not going to fail you. Everyone else in this room might fail you. I am not going to fail you. But Jesus told me, by the time the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you're going to betray me three times. And I was sure he was wrong. I was sure I wasn't that little man deep inside anymore. After the Passover meal, I went with Jesus up to the Mount of Olives because he said to us, he was sort of in distress and he said he needed to pray. I needed to sleep. I mean, let's be honest. When you go through four strong glasses of wine in the Passover meal, they start to catch up to you at the end of the meal. I was tired. And as I was drifting off to sleep, I could hear him in the distance groaning, like groaning. And he came back a couple of times to try to wake me and the others who had come with us to the Mount of Olives. And he was even in more increased distress. He kept kind of pleading with us. Would you guys please stay awake? Please stay awake. Please stay with me. Would you please pray with me? And we just didn't succeed. We kept falling back asleep. And I don't remember what time it was, but it was later that night. He came back to us and he looked horrible. It was like he had sweat and like blood mixed with it on his hair and his beard. He looked horrible. And then this crowd of soldiers came led by a darn Judas. And they came to arrest Jesus. And I was not going to let that happen. Uh Uh-uh. I wasn't going to let that happen. I wanted Jesus to know that I meant what I said when I said, I am not going to fail him. And so I grabbed a sword from one of the guards that was in their hilt, and I started swinging the sword wildly. (laughs) Here's the thing in my defense. I spent my whole life throwing nets. I didn't spend any of my life learning how to swing a sword. And so when I started swinging, I wanted Jesus to know. I wanted to prove to myself, I'm not that little man anymore. And I was swinging the sword thinking, we're going to take the kingdom. And I was thinking I was going to try to kill somebody. And I only succeeded in lopping off a poor guy's ear. And Jesus saw all of it. And he said, enough of that. And he miraculously picked the guy's ear up and put it back. And he healed the wound. And then Jesus just quietly surrendered. And he went with the mob. I followed at a distance, a lot of distance. And when the authorities began to question him, I stayed outside by the fire, 
still trying to be a big man, but I hate to admit it, the fear started to take over. I started to see how badly this whole thing could go. I started to size up the odds against us, and I, and I started to realize this was a really, really, really bad situation. And fear just took over. I, I don't know how else to explain it. Fear took over, and I saw how deep the roots of the little man inside of me really went. First, a little servant girl asked me, aren't you one of his disciples? <sighs> I said, I am not. And then a group of temple guards gathered around the fire looking me up and down. And they asked, aren't you one of his guys? And I said, I am not. It still hurts when I think about it too much. But one of the high priest servant girls, the tiniest little girl you could ever imagine. She saw me and she stared me down in the firelight. And she said to everyone around the fire, this man, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. He's from Galilee. And my fear took over and I became an animal. And I cussed that little girl out. I mean, I cussed her with every swear word I'd ever learned on the Sea of Galilee. And I cussed her out and I told her, I am not, I do not know the man. And right then, the rooster crowed. And Jesus, through the crowd of his accusers, he looked at me. And I suddenly remember what he had said, that I, in my weakness, I had the capacity to do. And I ran out and I wept uncontrollably, like the kind when you're shaking and heaving with sobs, because I, then I knew, I knew that the fearful, angry little man inside of me had not gone away entirely. It was still in there. It was irreversibly present deep inside of me. And if it could ever leave, it was going to take a miracle to reverse the naked reality of me, little man me, and truly make me into the rock inside and out that Jesus once said he thought I would be. And that's why I'm telling you my story. Because Jesus reversed all of the irreversibles that I once thought were impossible to reverse. You have to know this. You have to hear this story. Everything that I dreaded as I sat around that fire watching Jesus go through what he went through in his trial, everything that I most dreaded, it happened. Without a shred of legitimate evidence, the high priest found him guilty of blasphemy. Pilate declared him guilty by Roman law and Jesus was crucified. I mean, the very thing that I saw the Romans do to the, to the criminals and the wannabe insurgents in Galilee when I was a kid, that happened to Jesus. He was pounded onto a cross, slowly suffocated, and he died. And all, all that electricity and that authority inside him and in the air around him that I once saw with him when I first started to follow him, it just seemed to be completely irreversibly done. It was the most excruciating, hopeless feeling I've ever felt in my life. He was dead. That was it. End of the story. That's what I thought. 
But something happened that none of us expected was coming. (laughs) And it makes me laugh. To me, it's hilarious. Because some people made up a story that we disciples, who are not smart enough to do this, believe me, I'm in the circle, that we made up some story to create some sort of spectacle that people would believe. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? We were all holding up in a room with a locked door quaking in our boots out of fear. I mean, I will tell you that on a Sunday morning, a few of the women who were far more bold than us men, they went to the tomb to properly prepare his body for burial. And get this, they found the stone was rolled away. It's a heavy stone. You don't just move it by yourself. It rolled away, and they said the tomb was empty. It, no body. And they told us disciples, and I will tell you this, I, we didn't believe them. But I went to the tomb, and I walked in, and no body. It was like, see, in our culture, when we bury bodies, we wrap them tightly in cloths. And when I walked in, it was as if a body had slipped through the cloths and the cloths were just laying there in the tomb, like no body. But then I saw myself alive, very alive. I was with the remaining disciples. We were still in fear, holed up in this room with the doors locked and still with the doors locked. Jesus walked in the room and he said to all of us, he said, look at me, look at me, look at my hands and look at my feet, touch me, see. And then he asked for something to eat. And and then he was, he was there out of the grave in front of me eating. I mean, I was trying to make sense of it all. We were all trying to make sense of it all. But there in front of us was the fact, death is reversible. When it's confronted by the indestructible life and power of Jesus. Now, here's why you have to listen to me. As amazing as it is to hear that a man came back from the dead, never to die again, you know, you could think, wow, That's interesting if it's true, but it is way more than just interesting. It's like life-altering. It's life-changing. And here's what I mean. When I was still trying to figure out what Jesus' resurrection actually all meant, I decided I need a break. I I needed to get back to what was normal to me. And so I told some of the disciples, I said, I'm going to go fishing. And I didn't expect any of them to go with me. And I don't know what their reasons were, but six of them, they came with me. I took off to Galilee, and early one morning, after a long night of failing to catch any fish, at first we just thought it was just a man on the misty shores of Galilee, called out, little ones, do you have any fish? No, we barked back. And then he said the ridiculous to us. He said, cast your net on the right side of the boat, which everybody knows that is the wrong side of the boat to cast it on if you want to catch any fish. I don't know what made us do it, but we did it. Maybe we were tired and we did it and bam, we caught a huge haul of fish. And at that moment, my friend John realized it's Jesus again. And I had to get to him. I had to get to him. I had to get back around him. So I jumped in the water to just drag my sorry self back up on the shore to be with Jesus. And when I got to him, I saw 
that he'd made a fire and, and there were, there were fish and bread ready for us so that we could eat with him and hang out with him. This was the second time that I saw him, which made me know that I knew that I wasn't imagining things when I saw him the first time. This is my second time. And this time we ate breakfast with the walking, talking, eating proof that Jesus killed death. Death's no longer a thing that's irreversible. You know what else proved to no longer be irreversible? The littleness of me and the pointlessness of my existence. I mean, if Jesus is going to live forever, and he promised that I, if I put my trust in him and anyone who trusted him would live forever, that is a good thing. That is an amazing thing. It's worthy of celebrating. But forever isn't life as I'm living it now. Jesus reversed the irreversibles of death. That's an awesome, awesome thing. But could he, in his relationship with me, also reverse what felt like the irreversible anger and fear and smallness so deeply rooted inside of me and somehow turn me into a man now in this life who's actually been transformed by him by the time I get to join him in the bliss of the life he promises me that's coming. Can he actually change me? While everyone was eating breakfast, Jesus pulled me aside to go on a walk down the beach. And he asked me, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. Really? Jesus was still going to trust me after my miserable failure? But Jesus asked me again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I immediately wanted to make myself very clear. I said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And he repeated his trust in me by saying, so shepherd my sheep. And Jesus asked me a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I, I admit to you in that moment, I was hurt. A third time? That he asked me a third time. And so I said, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And for the third time, Jesus said to me, feed my sheep. I had failed to keep my own stated principles. And I get it, all of us here sitting in this prison cell, right? We, we don't like it when gods or the God that I'm talking about says, you're a person who has sin inside of you. There are things in this world that are right and there are things in this world that are wrong. I get it, but look, you do it, I do it. I failed to keep my own stated principles. Failed. I had failed and denied him three times, but he came to me crackling with his unconquerable life, and he restored me. He pulled me in even closer to himself to show me three times, the same amount of times I denied him, that he forgave me. 
to tell me that he saw past my behavior to who I was deeper inside and still trusted broken little man me and would empower me to actually become rock guy that he said I would become the day he first met me. I can hear the guards. They're coming. They're making their way to me here in our jail cell. So I better finish up my story. Since that moment with the risen one, Jesus, on the shore of Galilee, his unconquerable life, it has transformed me. Not being the smartest guy has not been a limitation to how God could use me. My anger and my fear and my conviction that my life was pointless, that's been erased. The risen one turned me, the not very smart guy, into a man who's been able to stand and speak before very, very smart religious leaders and before brilliant Roman authorities to declare the good news of Jesus. And to do it, this is the most amazing miracle of all, was that there's no fear in my heart anymore. And I can only explain that as that's from God. The risen one helped me to share my entire story of my time with Jesus with a writer whose name is Mark. And Mark turned that story into a biography of the life of Jesus titled Mark, because I guess he likes his name. (laughs) And that story has been read all throughout the Roman Empire at this time. And I did take care of Jesus' sheep. Not perfectly, but I did my best. I tried to take care of his sheep, that small band of his followers who were maybe about 70 of us 30 years ago. But they're now counted in the thousands all throughout the Roman Empire. I think I can say, as I'm facing the end of my life, that this movement that was started by the risen one, that I can tell you it's starting to take hold. And I think, I don't think I'm going to get to see it with these eyes, but I think it's going to change history. And this all happened because his life, the life of the risen one, is stronger than death And it is stronger than the deepest roots of sin in the human heart. Stronger than the sin and the weakness that I know you're contending with in your own heart when you're honest with yourself. I want to be clear that it was not my effort alone that transformed me into the man who's standing before you right now. The risen one transformed me when he became central to everything in my life. So I have to tell you in these moments that I have left that the fullness of resurrection reality won't apply. It it won't fully impact you if you disregard Jesus. And you might be surprised when I say this. It won't fully impact you if you just admire him or you just like him or you respect him. Admitting or liking or respecting him, it's very nice. That's very kind of you to think these things. But resurrection power only fully impacts a life when Jesus holds the center of your heart and your mind. Not Jesus added to your thinking when you think his thoughts might be helpful. Not Jesus considered when your ideas and plans aren't working. Not Jesus is an escape when your terms and conditions for life didn't go the way that you had planned. Jesus as central 
Jesus invites you to invite him into the center of everything in your life. The center of how you think about everything. The center of how you feel about everything. The center of how you're trying to render goodness in a broken world. That is when the power of resurrection reality really impacts and transforms all of your life now. Guards are coming. They're almost here to take me to my cross. And that's the funny thing. The same day when Jesus restored me on the shore of Galilee, he also told me this, that this day was coming. He said to me, when you're old, you're going to stretch out your hands and somebody's going to lead you where you do not want to go. And guess what's happening right now? The emperor's guards are coming. They're coming to take me and they're going to pound me onto my cross. Because of my love for Jesus and my life and my work for Jesus, they're about to stretch out my hands and lead me to the thing that I've been terrified of since the day I was a child on the shores of Galilee. When I first saw the violence of the excruciating experience of crucifixion as I watched these things happen as a child. But I'm as surprised as you. I'm not afraid. I'm experiencing Jesus' peace that doesn't have an explanation. I tell you my story because I don't consider myself worthy of dying the way that my friend, my Lord, did on the cross. I've told them, no, you can't crucify me that way. You're going to have to crucify me upside down. So here they come. It's time to see Jesus face to face again. My friends, thanks for listening to my story. Thank you. I've already seen the reality of God and the power of his resurrection in the total transformation of little man, me. And now I'm about to see the next level of the reality of the resurrection as I lay down my 65-year-old life, what's left of it for Jesus, to meet him on the other side. In that place he's made for me to enjoy him forever in his kingdom. Goodbye, my friends. May Jesus, the one who has blessed me, bless you. The end. With that, I want to invite the band to come on up. And I am not Peter anymore. As they get set for us to celebrate loudly in song, I want to make it clear, Jesus wants all of us, this is why we're celebrating this, to enjoy the fullness of his indestructible life. And if you're here today and you do not yet believe, you heard that story, sounds interesting, sounds compelling, but you're not a person who that's the center of your life, you're in a good place because today is the day of salvation for you, this Easter Sunday. Today can be the day that you start to believe the reality of what this person, Peter, just told you, which is all from Scripture. And today could be the day that you receive his offer of new life now and forever. And I'm asking you in these next few minutes, as we're singing these songs, that today could be the day that you pray a simple prayer and say to the Lord, I admit Some of that stuff that Peter was admitting, the smallness of me, the deep roots of, I guess you call it sin in me. And I believe that God has sent his son to give me new life. 
And if you pray that prayer, let somebody you know and love, let them know that. But if you do believe, this day is just as important for you, maybe more so. It's the day to let Jesus take a firmer hold of the center of everything in your life. And as pastor to the people of Faith Community Church, please listen to me. I am alarmed and I am concerned about the nature of discipleship in the church in the West. I am concerned in our church. Does Jesus actually hold the center of everything that we're thinking, of everything that we're feeling, and how we're trying to render goodness in the world? That is a question that we have to contend with. And Jesus wants the center. He wants to be the indestructible one in the center of your life. And to all of you who are believers, this is the day in which the risen one is saying, please let me into that center. So that his indestructible life can make, can make a difference in what's happening in you, in the good works he's doing through you, in the rescuing he provides for you, and the way that he's going to render kindness and grace despite you. Let's pray. Oh, dear risen one, you are seated at the right hand of the Father. We are deeply thankful Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for this amazing thing that we celebrate today that does transform lives. In so many ways, the story I just told of Peter is my own testimony. It is how I know, oh, there's a God, and there is a God who redeems, and there is a God who rescues, and there is a God who transforms. And if there's a God who does that, that God did come back from the dead, and that God is preparing a place for me. That can be all of our stories. God, for those who don't yet believe, God, in your special way, may your spirit whisper to them, this is life, and help them to enter into it. And for those of us who do believe, God, please do a work by your spirit to let Jesus take more of a hold of the center of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.